2: This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple
3: Podcasts.
4: (laughs) Hello, this is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on of Ambridge. I'm Jacqueline Berto, who is a dab hand with a glue gun.
5: And I'm Stephen Bowden, whose cat has got very comfortable.
4: (laughs) And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who are heartily sick of the rain. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by Nayla Ahmed, and she definitely touched a few nerves, and many in a good way. Coming up, we have calls from... David from Carmarthenshire
5: who has lambing advice for Ed.
4: Laura from Bedfordshire, who is really feeling the cringe this week. Catherine, who has some questions about Globe trotting Richard, who wonders what Lily is doing at Grey Gables.
5: Rose in South Wales, who is really
4: worried for Ed. Witherspoon, who is continuing to sing Natasha's praises. Finally, Claire from Clapham, who really feels for Clary at the moment. And we also have four emails. From Andrea in Brittany Purple Pumpkin Chris G And Louis T Plus we have The Week in Ambridge by Sui A roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook From our The only remaining Rob And the Tweets of the Week from Theo Before we start Prattling on too much Let's remind ourselves Of what happened Over the last seven days With a roundup of the Week in Ambridge From Sui Queen or Tart (laughs)
6: Hello, lovely people. It's Suey, Queen of on the Twitters and on Blue Sky. It's time for a quick reminder of the week in Cambridge. This was one of those weeks when I got really cross with the scriptwriters for their ongoing oppression of the whole Grundy family and Clary Love in particular. Ed's been in the thick of lambing, which I think normally happened in the barn, but because that's been sold, he had to be somewhere else for it. It wasn't really clear where. He lost two ram lambs, which are the ones that are worth proper money, because of the cold and the wet and some others had popped in the arger in the kitchen only in the warming oven and let me remind you no actual sheep were harmed in this episode but it does make you wonder how many real sheep are in danger in the floods Clary Love was persuaded to ask Helen if she could ask Miles if they could use the land and the barn and Helen said well I wish I could help but I won't I get where Helen's coming from and I do wonder if the village WhatsApp group wouldn't be a good idea to ask the load of a bit of land But no, these must be the oppressed kind In the meantime, Mia is all loved up with Wad, who totally misunderstood Lily's attempt at espionage. Thinks she fancies him. He got Mia a personalised message for her birthday from Hamza. Oh, that was very sweet. The fashion show is going great guns, and Fallon is demonstrating her skill with a glue gun. Somewhat surprisingly, Larry Love has offered to help when she's not potting yoghurt, feeding the lambs, Stoking up the auger and darning the holes in Eddie's salt. Fallon, in the meantime, was plotting with Emma to scupper Natasha's chances of playing annoying panpipe music until their heads explode, like in the Kingsman's movie. Then the dodgy journalist who misquoted Susan and Neil about Philip Moss turned up and tried to drum up a story. Natasha was bizarrely really nice to Fallon and paid her and Sausage Boy's tea room bill for all the coffee and cake unasked. Scriptwriters, will you stop making me feel like I like her? And then you turn me against her. I feel manipulated and a bit grubby. Stop it. Ardil has gone from Grey Gables, though his sister Azra is staying in the village and taking over his allotment. So for now, he'll presumably be back at some point. Lindy Bottom and Robert had a suite at Grey Gables for the soft launch and a complimentary spa and massage. Robert appears to have survived the experience. Brian has had a very busy week attempting to offload Hilda Ogden onto someone, anyone else in the village. Susan worked out very swiftly what was going on and said no. And then Hilda escaped. Brian found her later back at the lodge and resigned himself to his fate as a cat guardian. At least they didn't have to call in Joy the Cat Whisperer again. Well, till next week then, my lovelies. please hope it's a good one.
4: Thank you for that, Suey. Yeah, I agree. What a good week it was in some ways. But yes, we are being manipulated. They do like to uh, change how we feel about Helen, Natasha, Eddie, every single day. It's a different emotion. How has your week been, Stephen? It's been very
5: cold. I think it's probably that's true for you as well. But I've managed to stay warm in my flat in the evenings and stay warm at work during the day. And I had the final bits done to the kitchen, or almost final bits done to the kitchen on Friday. I now have splashbacks in place, but they had to remove all the electric sockets to put the splashbacks in. And the guys putting the splashbacks in don't want the electric sockets put back until the whatever it is, the resin that they've used is dry. So they're going back in on Monday, and then I will have a fully working kitchen.
4: Good, and we'll expect lots of pictures of what you cook on our Instagram feed.
5: Yes, I had been doing a bit of baking. I made some very nice um, oatmeal and raisin cookies. But I'm on a course all next week, so not going into the office. So I probably won't be doing any baking until (laughs) next weekend. How about you? How was your week?
4: Well, it's been a very typically French week because there's a phenomenon in France in January. In the, the rest of the world, you do dry, being careful, being very prudent about what you eat and drink in January. In France, we go for the Galette de Roi which is the king's cake with a little fev in it. And so everything that you do, you get offered a piece of king's cake. And I have not had one fev this year. I've not been the queen of, or the wren of Sanguan once this this year, but lots of social things. And every commune, every town, the mayor offers his ver. So he offers his, well, wishes to the population. You're invited. And they talk. we talk about the council here particularly. It talks about what we did last year and what we plan to do next year. All ends with an aperitif, et etc. et cetera. I've had an assembly general this week. And then last night, the council host and serve all the employees of the town. So the people who work on the streets, in the offices, at the old people's home, we have a little party for them. And it's us, the council, who do all the serving of drinks and food and stuff like that. Uh, it's been a very, very fatty, eaty week for me, Sam. So We're looking for a more prudent week next week.
5: It's a good way to, to cope with the, with the cold.
4: Uh- you definitely need it. Today it's minus five. Yesterday it was minus four. And also we had t- nearly 48 hours of apocalyptic type of rain earlier in the week. So dog water- walking yesterday was quite interesting.
5: Yes, I think we've got apocalyptic weather coming in over the next couple of days with the latest winter storm coming through and forecasts of gusts of 80 miles an hour and things like that.
4: Yeah, it's all very exciting. I wonder if it's going to be like that in Ambridge because it's sounding a bit rough there, isn't it?
5: Yes, I think we've got several calls about the state of the fields.
4: Jolly good. Well, we'd better get on and listen to them.
5: Okay, and it starts with this. Hello, Pusscat. First up, we have David from Carmarthenshire.
2: my Jacqueline, Stephen, and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. BC Meadow, it's David from Carmarthenshire. I haven't called in for a while, but I felt impelled to call in this week regarding Ed's lambing difficulties. Uh, I have a flock of Balwyn sheep myself here in Wales, and gosh, wouldn't it be lovely if my large animal vet just called in on the off chance when I'm lambing? Spoiler alert, that never, ever happens. Secondly, I also found... Alistair Allard's approach to the lambing quite odd. When a lamb is newly born and failing, provided it's not stillborn and it's not what's still in the amniotic sac, there are several things that you can do immediately to try to revive the lamb and to get them back to life. They just seem to cast them off immediately. I couldn't help but think that that's due to time constraints of the episode perhaps, because certainly with a vet present, you'd expect a much better success rate based upon the things that can be done in that very short time frame. Anyway, I'm much more sensible than Ed. We lamb in April when the weather's better, so hopefully our lambs this year will be thriving and healthy and happy. Famous last words. Anyway, that's all for now. Thanks for everything. Hoy lamb Hoyle.
5: Hoyle to you, David. And thank you very much for that call. It's always good, uh, as we've said many times before, to have people who are experts in their fields calling in to tell us what's going on in, in the arches. And just as we have Jen calling in whenever there's a horse storyline, it's good to have a sheep farmer calling in about sheep. And yeah, it did feel a bit odd that they were so quick to abandon the ram lambs, the two that died. And yes, as David says, it could well be that you couldn't really do the full details of how long they worked on them without either making the the program a bit boring or having to cut away too Mm. often. Because you could cut away and then come back and say, it's been half an hour and it's just no good. But given how valuable ram lambs are, it did seem as if they were being written off very, very quickly. And and that's so important to Ed's flock. As I said, uh, economies of running a flock like that, the ram lambs.
4: Yeah, this is a hidden secret about me that I'm about to make public. But I have raised sheep in the past. I had a small flock of Suffolk sheep. And we always lambed around about New Year. And a lot of people, especially on our Facebook page, have been questioning that. One of the reasons is that Suffolk's in particular, they put on weight very easily. They're like the greedy Cocker Spaniels of the sheep world. Owning a Cocker Spaniel, I know exactly what that is. And so you can get them out for the sweet Easter market. Plus, what you're really ultimately looking for is the next ram champion and the Suffolk Sheep Society that's the big thing there's certain things when a lamb is born you can see whether that ram lamb is going to be a future champion not particularly me but Eric the guy I worked with definitely knew but I learned a lot on it so that's been interesting now Ed has texels even if they're purebred texels lambing in January or December or January or even February they don't put on weight very easily, and so even if he lambed in April, by May and the main top market, they would definitely be the same weight as they'd be if they'd uh, been born now. May, but he did when he he topped them. He did have the la- the barn. He was using the barn, and that has all changed. So that's changed where and how he lambed. So uh, as David says, a vet dropping in. Hmm. Very interesting. So basically, if you lamb early, you have to have land that get, you can put your grass that's feasible, which obviously Ed hasn't got. But even high up on that, if he'd had the dry land, I don't think it would have been very. It would be very feasible to put texels upon on there anyway. understand, I understand why some sheep are lambed in uh, January, but not texels. There you are. Great.
5: Let's have our next call, and this one is from Laura.
4: Hi, everyone.
7: It's your from Bedfordshire Yeah, Hope you're well. Just being in to see if anybody else has cringed and rolled their eyes at the whole hapless Brad and Lily storyline that we've had early this week. I don't know if I've been particularly grumpy this week. I just find it so cringe, so classic. Oh, Brad's getting the wrong end of the stick again. It feels like for such a sensitive young man, and I, I love Brad's character. I love how respectful he is to Mia and their relationship, for example. This just feels like a bit of a trope that gets pulled out quite often. Hapless Brad with his first girlfriend when he went for that meal in Oxford or wherever it was. Hapless Brad with George when he got pulled into the Grey Gables fiasco and sunk for what happened with Harrison at prison. I don't know. I just, it just made, as I say, just made me cringe. Sometimes it feels like I think the character is worth more than this. Getting confused, getting worried, taking on that, I don't know, bit of the court jester role even that might be a bit too extreme
4: as i say i could just be grumpy but welcome what everyone else thinks bye (laughs) (laughs) thank you for your call laura yeah you've definitely just been grumpy i don't agree with you at all i think it's rather sweet maybe it's from a perspective as someone who's uh, been married for quite a few years and is slightly on the elderly uh, side any little hint of romanticism is good for me brad his sensitive soul but they um, are only seventeen eighteen, aren't they? Or eighteen nineteen. And you feel everything big at that age. So I think they're being depicted as well as a BBC four drama can depict teenagers, that we will understand it. And I think most of us will probably remember, if not our own, other people's angst at that age. So I'm not sure that they're showing him as a hapless person. Dunno, what do you feel about it, Stephen?
5: I thought it was a bit unlikely that he would have interpreted Lily's approaches to him as her fancying him. I didn't think he really had enough grounds to come up with that as the interpretation. <laughs> yes, her attempts to get espionage and so forth were a bit clumsy. I sort of agree with Laura that he shouldn't be that hapless. He have that bad experience with the, the woman, girl. The, the girl he met in and had dinner with an officer, the maths mm. genius that he met. I think that was on the yeah. maths summer school or winter school or whatever yeah. it was. Yes, so he knows what it's like to fancy somebody, and it's really worked out very well with Mia. And I just don't think that he would really interpret Lily as coming onto him in, in quite that way.
4: Well, I don't know. You see, teenage boys, they do they overthink things, perhaps, or they don't think things at all. Our girls do, do exactly the same. It's not just a male trait, but as we're talking about Brad. And also, he, he is someone that does, as we know, overthink things. I just feel like it would be a misinterpretation he would make because of his own insecurities at that age. His, I don't know, I just, I didn't find it a, I did. I disagree, as I said, with Laura. One of the other things I disagree with is that one of our good friends of the podcast, Theo, we messaged yesterday after the Friday broadcast and she said, she thought it was all very icky. And I didn't agree with that either. I thought it was very sweet.
5: I I think they're very sweet. I have to say, I didn't know who Hamza was. I now do know who Hamza was. Yeah. But I don't watch enough Countryfile and things like that. I I keep meaning to to get on top of watching things like Springwatch and Winterwatch and so forth. And then life gets in the way and I I never quite get to watch that. But I understand that Hamza is on Countryfile from time to time and is Ranger Hamza on CBeebies, which also I don't watch.
4: No, I've never seen him on that. Of course... I really got to know of him and learned more about his character with Strictly last year because he was fantastic from day one, a great character, and not the profile of a good dancer at all, but he had the rhythm, he was brilliant. In fact, I already knew about him, I already followed him on Instagram before he went on Strictly because I did a photography course about three years ago, and this little Breton guy obviously decided he had to connect with this Anglo-French woman by finding some I mean, it was a wildlife photography course. So he found all lots of stuff about Hamza, and so I was introduced to him via a Breton. So I was pleasantly surprised when he went ahead and won Strictly. And I haven't watched Strictly since. So I think I wouldn't watched the whole series if it hadn't been for him. So there we go.
5: Okay, shall we move on to our next call? And this one is from Catherine. Hi there, it's Catherine. I just listened to the episode Wednesday night with
0: Ardil leaving and his sister. And this weird going on about how much they love each other. Most siblings, they say it when they have to, not all the time. And how come Ardil was in the show for a good eighteen months? No mention of a sister. This obviously very profound, loving relationship—they bang on about all the time. Totally irrelevant. He's going off to Ralpindi. She's got to look after the allotment. So what's going on? I seem to remember that the actor himself is you he know, some sort of cover supervisor or a teacher, or works in a school anyway. So maybe he's got to go back for the beginning of the new term and this was recorded ages ago and he's gonna drop in and out when jobs or whatever will let him. But it does seem strangely intense relationship. Why is the husband living in India and what's going on? And no mention of Ardil being Muslim. Was he Muslim? I don't know. He seems to mention inshallah anyway. Also, I Emma's continual yearning for social mobility carries on, doesn't it? A sort of despair. God, that was such a depressing episode of the dying sheep and the rain and all this, Christ. No levity, well, apart from Brian being brilliant with the dogs wearing a jumper's comment, which I absolutely love. I love Brian. But Emma's wanting to emulate clip-cloppy girl, What's she called Natasha, and be a mobile. Natasha was so good about the journalist, wasn't she? Really kind to her workers, who obviously then felt a bit guilty, which is a very good way of enduring, encouraging them to be loyal to her. So what is going to happen to Emma and, oh, I wish someone would just give her a job or please let her leave her sort of low-paid misery. So that's all my thoughts this week. Bye. Thank you for that call,
5: Catherine. And yes, Ronnie Justy, who plays Ardeal, is a supply teacher it's somewhere near Slough. And I don't know how he balances out the acting work on the one hand with the, the supply teaching on the other and, and whether that affects his appearances on The Archers. But, I, yeah, I was slightly surprised when it was announced he was leaving. I think, yes, the sister does seem to have been slightly retrofitted into his story. She turned up and it turns out that she was in many ways a sort of mother's figure to him. She was a much older sister and brought him up. And then we've discovered now that the sister has her husband out in Royal Pindy and Ardil is going off to join him there. And I think he was on a farm in Royal Pindy, is it?
4: Yeah, but Royal Pindy is... It isn't a rural area. It's a massive city with about 3 million people, I think, living in it. It really is massive. I think it's the third biggest uh, city in Pakistan. I'm surprised it was Rawalpindi anyway, but what do I know?
5: Yes, as to Ardil being Muslim, Yes, he said, inshallah, but I think that that is a fairly cultural rather than religious thing to say. I think it's just a something thing. It's like saying, bless you when somebody sneezes. Which yes, even it, if you're
4: not Christian, exactly. But in fact, he did call his sister Baj this uh, week, and that is definitely Urdu, uh, Hindi uh, kind of expressions. Yes, I
5: think that from that part of the world, it would be an expression that you'd use, whether or not you're, whether you're, a Hindi-speaking Hindu or an Urdu-speaking Muslim or a Sikh or whatever, anybody from that part of the world yeah. is likely to be using those terms. I think, had he been a Hindu, we'd have had some sort of interaction with Usha. But I don't think he's a practicing no. anything, really. I think that he's pretty well acculturated to, to the UK. He's got family mm. back in, in the Punjab, but basically, he's. I think he's a secular...
4: Uh, so, Yeah, and maybe now Azra's going to stay, have the look after the... Maybe it was a way of bringing that GP character into the Archers because something changed with the actor, something changed with the storyline. And it's still, with her staying, still gives the opportunity for Adil to come and go. And maybe we're leading up to a story of a crisis in uh, Lower Loxley and... uh, Between Lower Loxley and Grey Grey Gables. So maybe he will be project managered in to... Grey Gables, there's lots of possibilities with this. I don't think we've seen the last of Adil. Now, The other thing Catherine talked about was Emma. Yes. So, like Catherine, I actually, Emma, I've had a love-hate relationship with her over the years because I think she's behaved very, very badly. It was very confusing with the two brothers and it's left George in some kind of quandary. But she is someone who tries and she does want things to work out. She does want to see things get better for her family and for herself. And when we listened to Clary this week talking, was so trying to be positive at the beginning of the week. And she'd gone back into the depths of despair as she was at Christmas time by the end of the week. I think Emma must see her mother-in-law and think, oh hell, you know, is this the future for me? We must get out of this. Yeah, I just wish something good would happen to the Grundy's, but I think because somebody else is going to talk about that later on.
5: Yes, I think we've got calls about Emma and about Natasha and things like that coming up. Next up, we have Richard. Unfortunately, Richard's call, which was made from, I believe, yet another airport, uh, was a bit low quality, so I'm going to read out what he said. Richard calling from a cold and rainy Paris. I hope it's not too noisy. I've had trouble with calling in from public places, so... Very odd that Lily is doing an internship in what must now be perceived as a competitor. Certainly, they're competing in the labour market, and it sounds like the new Grey Gables is going to be a pretty hefty competitor. Wouldn't Oliver and Ardiel and Roy and whoever be concerned about someone very close to one of their local competitors wandering around, discovering exactly what they're doing? Was Lily hitting on Brad? I'm not sure. I thought to begin with, no way. Brad's got the wrong end of the stick. But then, I do remember when he was out with his awful cousin. The girls in the bar were interested in Brad, not George, so perhaps Brad's a bit of a looker and everyone fancies him. And he was heading off to the gym, so there's obviously something going on there. Apart from that, I still don't get the Rob Titchener trust, and Miles being left as trustee in this isn't the easiest of roles. Why would anyone want to go to the trouble of putting up a building under a trusteeship without hefty compensation? It's a lot of trouble doing a barn conversion and watching it for miles on the Chichenor family. As far as I can see, zilch. Don't get that. Last, perhaps not least, Denise. Seems like a grumpy, sulky employee. Wasn't behaving like an employee at all. And I thought in a normal vet practice, she'd be okay taking on marching orders. As does feelings for grumpy Denise notwithstanding. All very odd. And Natasha. What a manager,
4: eh? What a manager. (laughs) Ha ha. Brilliant. Yeah, thanks for your call, Richard. I'm going to start with the the Denise story, which we talked about quite a bit last week. But, yeah, I'm still surprised by her because she was silent for a long time. And then she was a very, very pleasant character when she started talking, went away. And she's come back with this obviously mixed feelings about all sorts of things. But, yeah, I didn't like how she was portrayed last week. So I'm hoping she's going to go back to normal Denise. Lily. I'm really surprised that she's been taken on at Grey Gables. It's ultimate spying territory, isn't it? And that's what she's there for. Her and Elizabeth are worried and Lily set herself up to do that as a spy, a spying job, but obviously she needed a placement for her course. But yeah, I'm surprised that Oliver and Ardiel and Roy weren't more suspicious, but we'll see how, because that's a story that's going to run, definitely.
5: I'm not sure that they are, I, I think we discussed this last week, the competition between Lower Loxley and Grey Gables, yes, definitely for staff at the moment. But I think they had an almost an agreement not to compete with each other in various areas. And then I think that Lower Loxley started doing a bit of accommodation, and that put the cat among the pigeons. But I don't yeah, think, yeah, that... because they
4: did weddings, didn't they? They started doing weddings and a barn conversion for the accommodation. So,
5: yeah, but those weddings, as as again, I think we said last week, there's. The market for weddings is huge. There's plenty of room for them. I think they can stratify their offer so that Great Gables does the, the really top end stuff. Well, sorry, Lower Loxley does the really top end stuff. Great Gables does a bit lower down the market. And then uh, if you want something cheap and cheerful, you've got the barn at Brookfield. So, Cambridge yes. is full of wedding opportunities. And I guess Lower Loxley probably does weddings on premises, as does Greg Abel's. whereas Brookfield, of course, would rely on St. Stephen's for the actual ceremony, or possibly even register office in Brookfield, and it would be there more for the post-wedding celebration.
4: Yeah. A li- well, at least with lo- no, Greg Abel's. we've got the spa. We had a lot of talk about the spa this week. We even had Clary being jealous and green-eyed about the spa, didn't we? And lower loxley don't have anything like that. Now, I don't know whether I've drawn into this. I seem to remember hearing a discussion about the lighting in the reception. Have I mentioned that?
5: No, that was Linda's comments, I think, on, on coming in and, and seeing
4: ah, it. Ah, yes, that's right. I had a sudden feeling, because we've been changing, discussing changing some lighting in the house, and I suddenly think, did I dream that we're discussing the lighting at, at uh, Grey Gables? No, they, they used,
5: there used to be a chandelier. Yes, that's they've right. they've taken out a chandelier and put in some other form of... Lighting and it, it it makes it different, and Linda was impressed.
4: Yes, and also Eddie said it didn't look like a great the old Grey Gables at all. It's a complete transformation. So yes, we can let our flights of imagination go on what the Grey Gables looks like now. So what did you feel? Or do you feel about the Lily going in spying and interning?
5: I think she needs somewhere to intern, and actually, it's not a bad option, given that it's got some things in common with. Lower Locksley So, I, I th- there isn't really anywhere else in Ambridge for her to go and intern. And from a, a plotical perspective, <laughs> I think we need to have her somewhere that exists. And until the EV charging station is built, the only businesses in town yeah. are the Bull and the and Grey Gables and Farms. Yeah. And there's no re- really, there's no room at Farms. She could perhaps find something at Home Farm. I think that in terms of the business of Lower Loxley Rather than the estates at Lower Locksley Grey Gables is the only place she could go and, and learn anything I think Oliver yes. is very kind to let her stay there then
4: Yeah, they seem to have a good relationship, don't they? When they spoke, maybe not this week, last week But there we are
5: Time for our next call, and this one is from Roz
4: Hi Stephen and Jackie, and dumpty dum
6: people I've just been listening to Mondays Oh, sorry, this is Roz in South Wales I've just been listening to Monday's episode and my heart bleeds for Ed, who's one of my favourite characters. I'm beginning to understand now why the sale of this particular area of land so worried him. I suppose when you think about it, if you're going to build a barn, you're going to put it on high ground that doesn't flood. And that, of course, makes it the most saleable land. The flooded fields, obviously it's the rain as well, but don't they, do not they go down to the Am? My topography sense of Ambridge is not great. I think they might do. Anyway, I have to say, I'm really worried about how Ed's going to progress in the next few weeks. It does make you understand the problems that farmers have, doesn't it? Maybe puts it out to a wider audience than just listen to Farming Today, which I do. Anyway, that's it. Okay, thanks. Bye.
5: Thank you for that call, Roz. Yes, the Grain Farm is on a bend in the Am, so the lower fields go right down to the river. I don't think there's been a suggestion that the Am is flooding despite the rain. I think the rain is just doing enough to make the fields sodden and unusable and therefore pressure on Ed and his flock and to make it essential to to get them onto land from somewhere else. And I think we've got some other calls or emails talking about the question of whether or not there is other land available in Ambridge to, to take those sheep, to which I think the short answer is likely to be no so uh, it it is all a bit desperate for them and i think this is once again the writers putting pressure and tragedy and so forth onto the grundies to see how they will cope
4: yeah i agree i think it is yet another pressure for the grundies the downtrodden poor people of the village now, Roz, I agree with you. Stories like this in The Archers does make you think about the farmers around us and the trials that they go through. And I know that was the remit of The Archers originally, but we've moved long and far from the 1950s idea. But last night at my meal I went to, I was sitting at a table with four farmers and one is a retired but very, very knowledgeable, very active man in his 80s who has still got his finger in several pies, of production elevage. So they either produce cereals or they raise animals. And they were ta- he was talking about this newfangled thing of no dig, of no working, just scratching and what it does. And then we t- started talking about organic farming, and we're talking about the use of chemicals on organic farms. Really, I felt like I was in a discussion in Ambridge because they were talking about things that, Ambridge makes us think about organic farming and the drill that caused such hassle at a home farm around the time of Jenny's death. And uh, yeah, I think stories in Ambridge does make us think about the land around us. Maybe for me, someone like me who lives, and I'm not a townie at all, lives in the middle of a village. It's around me all the time every time I go out. Yeah, fascinating. And uh, we should pause for thought to think of the difficulties for these poor people like the Gwendy's.
5: Yes, the formal educational role of the archers stopped in 1971. Ah, so, I didn't realise
4: there'd been a formal thing where they stopped it.
5: Yes, I think they had a certain amount of money from the Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries and Food, as it possibly was back then, or the Min of Ag. But that stopped in 1971. And so since then, it's just been a entertainment programme rather than with any formal educational reading.
4: So those are our first few calls, and there's a few more to come after we've discussed how you can take part yourself. You can call us or drop us a line, and Stephen's going to tell you how.
5: The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com slash And don't forget, that's a T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or a message via WhatsApp on 07810. 012881. And if you're calling from outside the UK, then drop that first zero, put in your international dialing code, and then 4-4 for the UK. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. And finally, we have an email address you can contact us on if you'd rather write to us with your views. Aim for a maximum of 250 words, please. And the email address is dumptydum at com. And do bear in mind,
8: For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Borough purchase at burrowcom ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrowcom ACAST.
4: Now, shall we get back to our calls? Who's next, Stephen?
5: Next up, we have one that starts like this.
8: Y'all know how this goes. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salads, and scrambled eggs. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here, nearly fully recovered from my upper respiratory infection. Caller entering on Thursday night, basking in the warm glow of Hilda and Brian's new relationship. I'm going to follow up on my comments last week about Natasha. I celebrated her, noting her strengths were her empathy and people skills but I had spoken before Friday when Natasha made a bit of a hash of things with the family. Our host wondered whether I would rethink my compliments. Natasha, in her own words of self-awareness today, had put her foot in it, and was backpedaling since then. Unfortunately, we haven't been privy to these conversations with the family. Why not, scriptwriters? Helen dropped a bombshell and announced she was so fed up she was going to move. And there was no follow-up very strange. Maybe we'll have heard more in Friday's episode. Back to Natasha. Once again, she had a good week. She told off Rebecca of the Echo with great panache and didn't get upset with Fallon and Emma upon learning that they had badmouthed her. In fact, I was very impressed with the conversation she had with Fallon today. She's been able to share her own past work experiences and support and empower her employees. And why, surprise, surprise, She even put money back into the till to pay for her and Tom's snacks. Speaking of Tom, she knows how to handle him as well. Natasha is a confident woman on the move in those clippity-cloppity heels of hers, which may unconsciously make some people feel uncomfortable. I'm going to do something I normally don't do and make a prediction. Over the years to come, Natasha is going to build a business empire in Ambridge and beyond. Talk to you soon.
4: Thank you for that with a spoon. Yes, it's good to hear you almost back to normal. Keep safe and warm. Now, Natasha. As Richard said at the end of his message, what a manager, hey. What a manager. She's like a two faced character because we hate her at some person. I'm talking about me personally. A lot of people I know dislike her intensely from one week. The next week she just thinks that Harry What? She's so amazing. So, yeah, a very complex character. And I agree with Witherspoon's assessment. I think she is on the up. I also think she'll cast off Tom at some point when he's served his purposes. I think somebody did predict maybe a couple of months ago that, yeah, she'll ditch Tom but take the farm. Be interesting to watch this space. Thank you for your prediction, Witherspoon. I'm not known for my good predictions, so I'm piggybacking on yours.
5: I wanted to pick up on Natasha's engagement with Rebecca, the journalist from The Echo. And I was wondering how ethical all this business of paying for copy is. So I got in touch with a friend of mine who used to work for the the Gloucestershire Echo, which is very similar to the Borchester Echo, I think. <laughs> he now works for the Swindon Advertiser and for, for BBC Wiltshire. Alad told me that, yes, from time to time, he would be tasked to write advertorial, as they call it, copy puff pieces for businesses who pay for the privilege. The the journalist gets no extra money for doing that. They don't enjoy it. It's just part of their contract is that they will write this sort of stuff along with anything else they write. And was it appropriate, was it ethical for Rebecca to start poking around within the business and try and write some sort of expose? Alice's view was that what she did wrong was not identify herself as a journalist right from the start. But actually, it wouldn't have been a problem if she had done so and then started talking to Emma and Fallon and found out that there was tension and so forth. Now, of course, as soon as they realized they were talking to a journalist, they clammed up and, and were very loyal to Natasha, who seems to have taken it very well. But I got the impression that was a fairly realistic position. We know that Rebecca has been cutting things close to the line in the past she was equally dodgy I think when she first turned up to talk to Linda mm-hmm. about the MBE I think she identified herself as a journalist yeah then started asking awkward questions slightly different then but I think the very first time we met her she started asking questions before she identified her, herself as a journalist she's got form for this
4: Yes, it's interesting that they keep bringing back this occasional character in the form of the journalist, but also when she went into the tea room and there was that <laughs> horrible, too loud, the music has suddenly got too loud, quite apart. that's obviously to emphasise that it is awful, and or awful to work with, let's put it like that, because musical tastes, everyone has different musical tastes, as we well know. I just felt that not identifying herself and actually coming into the shop and then being outed, I felt that. Natasha was absolutely magnificent with her, supporting her staff, ignoring the fact that she was being told by the journalists that the staff had badmouthed her. But I also liked the reaction, particularly of Emma. Fallon, we, later in the week, we had that conversation, and I felt they became very understanding of each other. But Emma was in full panic mode, wasn't she? She's so. Frightened of the boss I think she's terrified
5: Of losing her job Particularly given the The situation that the children Find themselves in So you you can hardly blame her for that
4: No, 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 no I I agree And I felt that it was Very, very well portrayed Because I've in the past Had a job that it was Actually essential So I could keep on studying That I had that job And I was (laughs) The proverbial arse (laughs) licker Because there was no way I was going to lose that job I I needed to finish my course So I understand where she's coming from, although she has even deeper problems than me as a mere student had.
5: Yes, I'm still not sold on Natasha being nice and kind and a good manager and so forth. I suspect that when circumstances require it, she can dig stuff like that out from the past and use it. And I do think that things are going to go wrong between Fallon and Emma on the one hand and Natasha and Tom on the other. I'm not sure how much she put back into the till to cover the cost of the stuff that they've been eating. And so I don't know whether that's reasonable. But it makes it very difficult for Fallon to present a bill to Natasha now that she's made a contribution. But I still think that something is going to go wrong, which will lead to Fallon ending up at EV charging station. So that's gone very quiet again.
4: Yes, it has gone very quiet. But that whole thing, I've put money in the till... You wouldn't even do that. What about the accounting of it? Did she ring it into the till? I find those kind of things very frustrating because I would like things straight and orderly and know that at the end of the the month, you can balance the book. So I haven't liked the taking the food and I definitely didn't like the Oh, I've put money in the till business. Yeah, I think Natasha is someone that I would treat with kid gloves and be very, very aware that she could turn on a sixpence to mix metaphors.
5: Absolutely. <laughs> time, I think, for our final call, and this one is from Claire. from Clapham.
7: Hi, hey, Danty-Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. All recovered from the COVID. Hooray! Oh, my goodness. What a hard week. I think it's time we all club together and St. Clary on a cruise or a spa day, at least, or something. I just find it so hard to hear the kind of crushing, miserableness of the Grundy's life and. It's right. Laurie was right last year when she just said it just doesn't end. It's just a struggle all the time. I just really feel for them. Yeah, it's really upset me to hear it. And I do hope that something happens to lighten the load rather than just pile all the stress on the stress. In lighter news, I'm looking forward to Brian bonding with Hilda and... uh, I think that's got a lot of potential. And I thought it was hilarious when he called round to Susan. When did Brian ever just drop in at Susan's for a cup of tea? Holy moly. She must surely have known something was up. I can't believe he would ever have boilingly done that. I think he was trying to palm off some demon cat. Nice try, Brian. No one's listening. I think he's been very much put in his place by everyone on this matter. And I've just had to accept Hilda and Bond. Yeah, so keep up the good work and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.
5: Thank you for that call, Claire. I have really been enjoying Brian's struggles to offload Hilda. It was so obvious that, as you say, Claire, he never turns up just unannounced at Susan. And she could tell that there was something up. And as soon as he started getting Hilda out, she must have known that the plan <laughs> was to lose Hilda in the house. Susan had just hoovered. And Brian's protestations said so it wasn't a problem. But, uh, she's short-haired. She's a short-haired, so she doesn't shed. And I certainly know about having a, a long-haired cat who does shed, so I, I can see there there is a significant difference there. But I've just loved that, and I'm still waiting for the final piece to fall into place, and that's Kate's attitudes towards Hilda, because I'm sure that Hilda will do all kinds of things to upset Kate's aura or her chakras or, or whatever it is. <laughs> so I think we still have a bit more of Hilda at Blossom Hill Cottage to play out.
4: Yeah, so it'll be quite interesting. But though she's got, she has lived with her before and she actually famously got on with her where nobody else did. So uh, it will be interesting to see that. Now, let's get back to the first uh, thing that Claire talked about, which was Clary, because Clary has had a difficult week. As I said earlier, I found it heartbreaking the fact that she was at the depths of misery during the turkey plucking period. Then she's tried to be positive and tried to look on the positive side. And then it brought home to me, by the end of the week, the reason that Clary has such a miserable time is because she's married to Eddie. Because Eddie, this week, if I made slap lists, which I never do, but I know other people do, Eddie would have been there in numero uno place because just, at first he suggested that they just put the sheep on the land anyway, the higher land, without going down any asking route. And then he told Ed that Clary was going to ask Helen to help And then Clary's worrying from every aspect And she worked herself up into into a right tis And I have to say, Helen reacted very well to her asking But Eddie has just annoyed me so much this week And Clary's problems come from her love for him And their lifestyle together And the 'er ne'er-do-well Grundys. I personally think that if we lost Eddie Clary would have a lot better life
5: Well, it's a view. We'll see what happens. And if Clary were to lose Eddie, then she might find it easier to get into an arms house. Oh,
4: yes, of course. That's another story that's gone quiet. We've had a few things this autumn that we've looked at in depth and then nothing's happened. So, uh, yes, lots of things to come.
5: Yes, I'm sure they will bring each of those stories back.
4: Those are all our calls. Thank you, everybody, for calling in. And we really enjoy receiving your calls. But this week, I think we received quite a few emails.
5: Yes, we've had four. Now, the first was an email in our mail.com inbox. It came in on Friday lunchtime, and it goes like this. Greetings, lovely dumpty dummers. It's Andrea from beautiful Brittany. Speak pipe problems this morning, perhaps due to the freezing conditions and me breathing heavily into my phone whilst walking uphill on a dog walk. Probably for the best, it didn't work. I want to send big hugs to Ed. I live about three-quarters of the way down a valley. The fields at the bottom have pools in places, and now, where there is grass, that is also frozen. It's not been an especially wet winter, but we did have one night of solid rain this week. Not as much as Ambridge, but seeing the fields here has made me appreciate his situation. The previous dreaded anticipation of losing the higher land is now a reality, and now he's lost some all-important baby rams. I think this will send him crashing into treacherous surgery without thinking it all through. Hopefully Emma will make him stop and think it through before committing money they don't have. Jetheline asked about Helen. She's not been in this week, so I'm still feeling warm. Absence really does make the heart grow fonder. But who knows how she'll react when Clary asks her about the land. Earplugs at the ready. To a bit, Andrea.
4: Ah, uh, thank you for that, Andrea. In fact, as we know, you sent that in before Friday's episode and Helen was there and... Earplugs were not required She was amazingly sanguine about it She very much put in place the idea that she has moved on She doesn't want anything to do with it And she's even had to tell the family So whilst we've never had any comment this week Because Pat and Tony weren't in it this week And we didn't hear anything from Tom So we've had no reference to the breakdown at the end of last Friday's When she said, well, perhaps I should just move away If you can't leave it, I'll move away uh, only Natasha mentioned it when she said that she realized she should put her foot in it last week with her family. I'm still f- basking in the warm glow of Helen, hoping that she's seeing a way through and a way out for herself. And as she said this week for her children, I find it very touching the conversation she had with Clary because I'm feeling very worried for Clary. Yeah,
5: good thought. No. The one thing I want to pick up on Andrea's email is her reference to Emma making him stop and thinking it through before committing to tree surgery. I don't think that's the case. I think Emma is really thrilled about the tree surgery. And so I think this might be enough for her to say, look, all this going out in the cold and the wet and the miserable and raising lambs and it's all going horribly wrong. You've done that. You've done a really good job. You've produced some excellent rams. Perhaps now is the time to move on. Let's get a couple of chainsaws and a truck and hit the road.
4: Yeah, I agree with you completely there, Stephen. I think this, the unpredictableness of birthing lambs and uh, looking after ewes and the land will definitely push her into saying that's it's a sign we need to get on and do this. And I think they'll go about and get the money together somehow. It might end well. We can live in hope. The second message was on WhatsApp and it goes like this. Dear Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere, it's Purple Pumpkin here with a very brief emailer in. After listening to Friday night's episode, I had 15 minutes of driving left and found myself thinking about Ed's lambs and their need for land. In brackets, she writes sad, I know. I think someone said his flock is about 40. So I think he needs one average sized field for the lambs. Stephen can correct me. But if I'm right, where does Linda keep her llamas? Where does Jill keep her bees? Where do the horses of the stables rotate around? I just find it incredible that in a village like Ambridge, there isn't anyone with any spare land for a few lambs, for a few months at most. But then, I'm a townie, so what do I know? Thanks for all you do for the podcast. Keep up the good work. Your loyal listener, Purple Pumpkin.
5: Thank you for that, Purple Pumpkin. I think the problem is that each of the farmers, each of the people who have land are seeking to get the most out of it. So suddenly to have a flock of 40 Texels turn up, there just isn't the capacity for it. The stables will have some paddock. They may not be very actively used at the moment. The horses are probably inside and largely being fed on haylage and silage and so forth. But they don't want the land poached up by sheep going all over it, perhaps. I believe that it's good practice when you've got sheep and horses to alternate between the two of them, because that means that parasites that have a a life cycle that involves being excreted and then the grass becoming contaminated and being eaten by another generation so that the eggs get into the system that way. Because horse parasites and sheep parasites are different. If you have a year of sheep and then a year of horses, all the parasites die in between. So it's a good way of getting that down. But if you haven't got that planned into your system, suddenly turning up with 40 sheep isn't going to be an option. Brookfield, they don't have any land for sheep. They've moved all their sheep onto home farm land. Home farm have got the Brookfield sheep and therefore will have a plan for all of that. And we've had enough in the past of Stella and Pitt not getting on because the sheep were in the wrong fields and so on. I don't think that the paddock that Linda keeps her llamas in, which is probably just a large garden effectively, That's three llamas, is it? And that's not quite the same land requirement as a flock of Texels. So I think there is land, but it just isn't available. It isn't free short notice in order to put these sheep on. The only land that is available at short notice is the Titchener land, and we know what happens there.
4: Yes. I don't know that. I think Jill's bees are kept in the orchard behind the farmhouse at Brookfield. don't think they need much of a field though.
5: No, I think bees tend to use fields that are being used for other things. They just want the flowers when the flowers are there, but uh, they can coexist with other animals, so it's not like they have a field of their own that could be home no. to sheep.
4: I was being facetious. Sorry, purple pumpkin. Of course, the bees need all the hedgerows, which we quite often hear about them being grubbed out and chemicalised, so, uh, but don't let me get a bee in a bonnet about that. The
5: third message was also from a mail.com account, and is from Chris, who is a regular on the Facebook page. Dear Dumpty Dummers, I mean to write in every week and then by the time I sit down to do it it's too late say oh well next week. So this week I have made a concerted effort to get up and write this message. Some weeks on the archers were, are wonderful. This wasn't. It wasn't bad mind you. I just didn't know what to make of it. I don't know what's going on with the Natasha Fallon situation but it looks like they're becoming friends and if so, well I guess that's great. We can't blame Oliver for selling the best land but I sure am tired of seeing the Grundy suffer. I was surprised and a little irritated to see Ardell moving away until someone on the Facebook page pointed out since Ardell's job was to oversee the renovation of Greg Abel's, he would no longer be needed. Now he's off to Pakistan to live with his brother-in-law, and I'm off to take a nap. Yours and average, Chris.
4: Thank you for emailing in, Chris. I've been trying to encourage you to get more verbal on the podcast as you are a very active member of our Facebook uh, group. I like to think of you as the cynical friend, and I think your email has just confirmed my feeling about that, And I hope you enjoyed your nap. I find all weeks on Ambridge, in Ambridge are wonderful because there's always something to take away from it. So, you yeah, know, we don't tend to agree very much on things, although I do agree with you about the Grundy's suffering. It's, it's time it's stopped. It's been going on for all these years, from. When Joe and his Susan were married and tenant farmers and all the way through all these generations, and we're seeing it carrying on into the next generation, it really has to stop.
5: As for Ardell moving away, I think when he was introduced, he was more than just responsible for the makeover. I got the clear impression that he was going to manage the place on an ongoing basis, and it does seem to have come suddenly out of the blue that he is moving on. Yeah, Oliver was supposed to be taking a back seat, so if... Ardell is gone. Is somebody else coming in to represent the new owners? Has that changed? Or is it going to be Oliver and Roy all back in charge
4: again? Oh Yeah, and then there's the horrible question of Roy. We had Linda this week there referring to Robert and Robert going up to the room. And I don't know why when they were in Grey Gables, when Azra and Linda were in the spa and she was saying how wonderful the room was and you must come up and see it. I had this terrible feeling that they were going to go up and find Robert collapsed on the floor, and she was the GP. and But I think we're just hanging on tender hooks about that part of the story about Linda and Robert, and now, of course, Roy, because of the sad circumstance of Ian Pepperell's death. But the one thing I'm very curious about, and I think it's a hint of a story somewhere, Adil has gone off to stay with his brother-in-law, whose wife has just moved to Ambridge or near Ambridge. So there's a big story there and she's there with her children or a child because she talked about the name of a child, sorry, which has gone over the top of my head, that is pleased about the move or pleased about being here. So yeah, it's all a very convoluted and very confusing story. So I think it's one of those yet another watch this space. I think Adil maybe has been in passing, but Azra is going to be there and a big story about her.
5: I think something is going on there. They kind of introduced all that detail just for nothing. So there must be a reason for it. Yes. yes. I, I too was convinced that they were going to forget and find that Robert was dead. Not, I think, collapsed on the floor. I was expecting him to be lying on the bed and to have just drifted off. With, and, yeah. And,
4: and, and that would across. be a nice way for him. Yeah. Yeah. I do, oh, dear. I don't, so it's not just me with an overactive imagination, that. <laughs> Um, Thank you very much for your uh, emailing, Chris. Keep up the good work on the Facebook page and keep in touch with us. And I think we have finally another email from mail.com from Louis. Dear hosts and dumpty dummers, just catching up with last week's episodes of The Archers and Dumpty Dum, a couple of thoughts regarding the recent purchase of the land by the Titchener clan. Am I naive in drawing a sigh of relief when it was revealed that the land would eventually go to Jack, I was expecting far worse from the Titcheners' Chaz. Them selling the land to a supermarket chain, allowing housing to be built, wouldn't be surprised given what a hot topic Greenbelt land being built on is in the UK. (laughs) Allowing housing to be built, I wouldn't be surprised given what a hot topic Greenbelt land being built on in the UK is right now. Or, in some diabolical hybrid of the Poisoned Am Philip Moss story, the land was given over to an unscrupulous construction company who would then use it as landfill for dumping of toxic building materials. And although this would give Meyer a cracking storyline for about a decade, I'm glad it's not going that way, for now at least. Agree or disagree? All the best,
5: Louis T. Thank you for writing in, Louis. As I've made clear in the past, I was just fed up that it was another Titchener story. For me, that was bad enough. I'm not sure that any of the options you put forward are that plausible. Certainly, I think a supermarket chain would struggle to find planning permission to build. And I'm not sure that Ambridge and that particular piece of land, which isn't brilliantly connected to the roads network, would be suitable for any major development. So that would be true probably for housing as well. And after all, we do still have the EV charging station story to develop. So we do have some development activity going on in Ambridge. So I I think that if any of the sorts of things that you had in mind were going to be taking place, then the EV charging station would be the storyline that would capture that. And I guess I just don't see the Titcheners as deliberately evil. I think that as a family, I think that Rob is incredibly narcissistic and selfish and so forth. And so I think just owning land in the village and trying to leave some sort of legacy so that Jack always owes him in perpetuity is quite bad enough.
4: Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree with uh, with all that. The only thing that I I think is that, yeah, the land being left to Jack, there's the barn to develop. So I think that will be that. The story of the land will go around the development of the barn and who lives there. And it worries me that that will be perhaps one of the Titcheners in in their retirement, Miles in his retirement. I don't know. And that is forging a path to contact, constant contact with Jack. I I wasn't as disappointed as you in that it was sold to the Titcheners, but I thought there were many more better options. I suppose we're saying that we don't really... Do we agree or do we disagree with Louis? I've got a bit lost in the discussion now.
5: I think in terms of drawing a sigh of relief when it was revealed that the land would eventually go to Jack, I would rather it had no Titchener element at all. No. But if we've got a Titchener element in there, then I guess it's better that it's that. But as Richard pointed out earlier, what is in it for Miles to yeah. have responsibility for managing this land, particularly if they're going to actively develop that barn? Because having paid made Half a million pounds for the land More money will be needed to do a barn conversion And I just don't think that the land Was even worth that in the first place
4: No, it's a Yeah, a weird story I don't see that And it still don't know where Miles got the money from Because it can't have gone through to probate The Rob's will There we go So, thank you for that message, Louis First time emailing, I think Before we move on to talk about our Facebook page Let's talk about the Academic Archers and the conference planned for the weekend of the 27th and 28th of April at the Quakers Meeting House, Euston Road, London. The box office is now open and the links to that can be found in the show notes. Stephen and I have been looking through the summaries of the papers that will be presented at the conference and Stephen has picked out one that particularly appeals to him.
5: Yes, this week I wanted to mention a paper called It's a Ferret Ferris Wheel, Depictions of Human-Animal Interactions and Animal Welfare in the Archers which is going to be presented by Tamsin Furtado and Tamsin Durston. They say about their paper, As a farming community, animals are central to village life in the Archers. From family pets to wildlife and livestock, the Archers uses diverse human-animal entanglements to its listeners to convey messages about animal ethics, mere veganism, the disruption of the Ambridge hunt, human personality, such as Lillian's out-of-control Ruby, relationships, Peggy's choosy Hilda Ogden. Farming Practices, Pip's Herbal Lays, Freddie's Foray into Abattoir Life, Rewilding Ambridge, and Animals as Entertainment, the Serret, Serret's Wheel. They'll be exploring the diverse representation of animals in the archers and how these presences are silent but nevertheless shape Ambridge life and our understanding of Ambridge residents' endeavour. They'll also consider how events in the real world relating to animal welfare, such as a 2021 reduction in slaughter availability of pigs, or the ongoing epidemic of equine obesity, which affected Lillian's beloved Amir, convey messages about animal welfare to listeners, and also how the depictions of animal-related events, such as Stella's grief on losing weaver, might shape our view of Ambridge residents. And of course, this week, we've seen Hilda playing a key role in events.
4: So I'm really looking forward to to that paper, and we'll review another paper next week. Don't forget to be crafting your ferrets either. I'll put the link on the Facebook page today. Shall we move on to that Facebook, where we have lots of very active, friendly, and erudite members, and we need to give a very warm welcome to the newest of them, who are Gus McDonald and Adrian Garvey. Welcome both.
5: Welcome both. Before we hear what our Facebook group has been talking about this week, I had a message from Lillian McCarthy, who had tried to post something on the page but ran into problems. So I've managed to post it now. She thought it would be perfect for Chris, Alice and particularly Martha because it's an invitation to a never want to own a pony experience day and it starts here at Jamie Watt Wright Equestrian. We know that horses are an expensive business and therefore we have developed our own own a pony experience day for parents who want to put their children off ever wanting to go near a pony again. Own a pony experience days are generally held in the depths of winter to try and ensure wet, cold and blustery weather The day usually starts and ends in darkness and with any luck either miserably wet or freezing. It's well worth reading the whole thing, so thank you Lillian. Now here's Rob with his roundup.
9: Hello there everyone, it's the other remaining Rob with the social media roundup. We started the week off in Tantrum, the Scandinavian themed cafe with the sprout shortcakes and Peruvian nose flute soundtrack. Julia Dolwish was not impressed. Plastic? Flowers? Any liking I may have had for Natasha is certainly gone. Meanwhile, Ruth Wilde thought, I do find Emma and Fallon's attitude towards music very narrow-minded. I like what I've heard so far. Each to their own, Ruth, each to their own. The saga of Hilda Ogden continues to cause more upset than Kate's disposed-of belongings. Helen Isherwood said, I'm not a massive Peggy fan. I feel uncomfortable with her stark matriarchal personality. Anyway, can I just point out, a cat is not just for Christmas. Poor Moggy. Very selfish and short-sighted thinking, she not only ditched Hilda in a New York minute, she sent a packing with someone that clearly hates cats. However, things seem to be settling down, as Witherspoon commented in the style of Rick Blaine, Hilda, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And William Nolan replied, That was such a sweet scene. Charles Collingwood has just been stellar since Jenny's death. It's a rare thing when I tear up at the archers. But Brian talking softly to Hilda broke me tonight. The Brad and Lily interaction caused some comments. Shirley farrant Anstay asked, I'm confused. I don't remember anything in the past that has happened at Lower Loxley or Maury's That might suggest Lily has some sort of crush on Brad. Is it all in his imagination or has he misunderstood something? Can anyone point me towards an instance or dialogue please? And talking about misunderstood dialogue, the Adil and Azra interaction was explained by Pamjulai, who said that when he said bhaji, he didn't mean bhaji. In Urdu and Hindi, the word bhaji typically refers to an older sister or a term of respect used to address an older female figure. It is a polite and affectionate way to refer to someone older than oneself, similar to calling someone sister or sister dear in English. But then Fiona Hayton said, It just doesn't make sense for Adil to be leaving so soon. Nothing about the whole Grey Gables refurb rebuild has, has it? But it's only just had the soft opening with Linda staying a night, and Adil's sister is the local GP and she's house hunting, Adil mentioned another building project manager, so what was he? And then Roy. But Roy reported into Adil, and Oliver was supposed to be less hands on than previously. So do we think Roy is going to leave? For area, And Adil would come back as hotel manager? P.S. Is Ian still making pizzas in a polytunnel in this weather? And that is it for this week. I look forward to another week of fun and frolics on the Dumpty Dum Facebook pages, and hope to be in touch with all of you that. We will know when the chat starts. You can't be there for hours. Bye.
4: Thank you for that, Rob. And thank you so much to everybody on our Facebook page. If you'd like to join them, please do. But don't forget to answer those very easy membership questions, as that way we know you're a real person. I don't think we had any reviews this week, did we, Stephen? Nope, none, I'm right. afraid. Yeah, let's move on then to Twitter where you'll find us at Dum. Make sure you include a the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A, so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Jberto Sanguen.
5: And I can be found at Wenlock House. But we're both spending more time discussing the Archers on Blue Sky. But I am at Wenlock.bsky.social.
4: And I am at Jberto.bsky.social. So let's find out who won the Twitter medals this week.
3: Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dumbers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with Tweets and Skeets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on Twitter and Blue Sky, there was a lot of confusion about Natasha and her flip-flopping personality. As Little Kim at Little Kim said, I love-hate, 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 Natasha. She can be so awful and so great. Goldilocks on the Levels at goldylevels.bsky.social thinks she has difficulty with boundaries, while Lomalindy12 at lomalindy12.bsky.social was yelling at the radio, don't trust her, Fallon. Opinion was also divided about Hilda. Romantic writer at Corinthia Hart predicted that Brian will be infected by other toxic bite or a scratch hilda can't be trusted as a bereavement counselor or therapy feline And maggie gordon walker at m gordon walker said no shelter will take her they have a photo fit of hilda with bard written over it but an awful lot of people including miranda at apple android app and sally ronaldson at Milon fred think hilda and brian are destined to be together And I'm one of the many who found the scene of Brian talking to Hilda about loss quite moving. There was no division of opinion about Eddie, however, as Dinica Tenhove at Dinek ETH asked rhetorically, can Eddie sink any lower than asking Helen to talk to Miles? But now it's time for medals for blue sky skeets and ex-posts, all of which we continue to consider as Tweets of the Week, with a double entendre warning for those of a delicate disposition. In bronze position. It's the Whitlam. At the Whitlam. I'm afraid Brian is addressing Hilda as if she's a dog. Hilda is thinking, if I were bigger, I'd eat you. The silver medalist is Rainbow Warrior. At Rainbow Warrior. Who said, haha, an unexpected hack in the staff gossiping area. At the tea room. And the gold medal goes to ungoogleable at all underscore sweetness. Brian is and always has been a pussy magnet. Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on the Archers hashtag Twitter or Blue Sky next week.
4: Thank you for that, Theo, and congratulations to all those many people who were mentioned in this week's roundup. And don't forget we're on Instagram, at Dumpty where Theo looks after things.
5: Next week we'll be recording at the normal time of First thing Saturday morning, so please get your calls in by midnight on Friday UK time. And as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support us in so many invaluable ways. And also to the whole Dumpty Dum
4: community, you make doing this podcast worthwhile. And we also must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sunny Ormond for their voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Roy Phil Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today.
5: We're now off to have a full body massage at the newly renovated spa. So it's goodbye
4: from me. And it's au revoir from me. <SCar>